This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Majid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. The Blue Cliff Record. We hear of a monk who asks Master Unman, What is the pure and clear Dharma body? Unman answers, A flowering hedge. The monk and asks, what is it like if one proceeds in that fashion? Nurman says, a golden-haired lion. One of those koans where it doesn't seem like the answer has much of anything to do with the question. How do we put these things together? What is the monk asking about? The pure, clear Dharma body. We can just start with the words pure and clear. It's a kind of an ex expression of what the monk is longing for in his practice. Hardly matters that you call it the Dharma body. He's after purity. He's after clarity. He associates this in some way with the Dharma, something transcendent, a Dharma body being perhaps the opposite of a human body, which is anything but pure, clear. And I think over and over again, these koans remind us that however long we've been practicing, in some corner of our mind, in some recesses of our secret practice, we're all longing for or hoping for that purity and clarity to suddenly break out and sweep away all the ordinary confusion of our mind and daily life. Uman answers, flowering hedge, 
And I think we're supposed to picture something that's all entangled, bushes growing every which way with flowers coming out at odd points, not some kind of um, beautiful sculpted topiary, but something growing wild, haphazard, irregular, uncontrolled. The tangles of the branches and the occasional flowers emerging from them. These can be a picture of what our mind is like. Anything but pure and clear. The hedgerow seems analogous to a phrase we encounter in Dogen when he talks about entangling vines. And these have a number of different connotations. The most basic level, it's used in a pejorative sense to refer to all the entanglements of thought and emotion that constitute delusion. We're entangling vines, what we're here to somehow clear out. When we first brought, bought our property up here in the country, we were initially enchanted to have five acres of woodland around our house. It all looked very serene and bucolic. But as we started walking through the property, we found that a lot of it was just choked with entangling vines, briar patches full of thorns. Looked very nice from the porch of the house at a distance, but when you walked out in them, they snagged your clothes and scratched your skin. So the first job in a way Clear all those, that brambles out. Get rid of all those entangling vines. Let's get some clear space here. It's our natural uh, response. It's what we basically want to do in our practice. We want to get a hold of some clear space, not just be buffeted around by thoughts and feeling. And so we think of the enterprise of practice for a long time as settling down into some kind of clear inner mental space. It cuts away all the things that are snagging at us. But Dogen goes on to, with the metaphor of entangling vines and uses it to describe the koans themselves, the teachings, all the 
stories and words that we use to transmit uh, the Dharma from one generation to the next. We can't help but go down into the weeds to use words and concepts like I'm doing right now to convey the Dharma. And he takes the analogy a step further and he uses entangling vines as a metaphor for the student-teacher relationship. Student must get entangled with the teacher, entangled with the teacher's mind, so that the two of them are entangled together in a way that you can't tell where one ends and the other begins. Just like when you're trying to hack your way through the brambles, you can hardly tell where one plant begins and another ends. They're just all interwoven with each other. It's a student-teacher relationship. And there's a way in which Uman and Dogen are saying we have to work within that entanglement. Our practice can't simply be a practice of cultivating purity, but about becoming at home in the weeds. There used to be an old children's story to that effect uh, by Joel Chandler Harris about a character named Br'er Rabbit. This is all told in Southern Negro dialect at the end of the 19th century. So Br'er was Brother Rabbit. It was all about his entanglements with the bear and the fox and the farmer and how the rabbit was always trying to sneak in and get away. And there's one story in which when the, one day when the rabbit gets caught, he's in danger of being, being skinned and eaten. And the rabbit says, well, you got me and you can do anything you want with me. But the one thing I wish you wouldn't do is don't, please don't throw me in that briar patch. I hate that briar patch. All those thorns, they just shred your skin. I hate that. So go ahead. Just, if you got to eat me, eat me. But please, whatever you do, don't throw me in the briar patch. And whoever it was who had caught him, I don't remember the story exactly, whether it was the fox or the farmer, but they said, oh yeah, well, I'm going to really teach you a lesson this time, Br'er Rabbit. I'm going to throw you right into that briar patch. And of course, the rabbit is completely at home in the briar patch. When he's thrown into the briar patch, he runs right through it, runs right away. That's his home, briar patches. And in some way, that is the lesson that Uman is saying with the flowering hedge and Dogen is saying with the entangling vines. We have to make our home within them, not 
not think our practice is just a matter of clearing them all away. I think the problem though for us as Zen students is that we can then take this further step and romanticize the entanglements and say, of course, we're going to be at home in everyday life. That's, that's the briar patch, ordinary life. Yet ordinary life can indeed be complicated and frightening as we're all learning these days about what's going on in the Ukraine. Because the, as the monk was in pursuit of the pure, clear Dharma body, the entangling opposite of that means to fall back into history, to fall back into context, to fall back into the kinds of entanglements that we go to practice seeking a refuge from. In some way, when we practice, we're all like the old ancient hermits who wanted to leave the city. They wanted to leave the warring factions and politics and turmoil behind and head for the hills, head for the mountains. Let's go find a place to establish the monastery where we will be away from all of that once and for all. And even when we practice in the city and in the midst of everyday life, invariably on our cushion in our zendo, even if it's just a little corner of our apartment, we want to establish our little hermitage there, a little refuge. And in one sense, that's absolutely proper and the right thing to do, create a refuge of quiet and concentration. And yet in another way, we're always in this dialectic with the world that we're trying to escape and the peace or concentration we're trying to achieve and then bring back to our dealings with that world. And over and over again, we have to go back into it. I think that part of the horror that people feel about what's going on in the Ukraine now is this sense of I can't believe we have to go through this yet again. Haven't we somehow gotten beyond that? Wasn't that the kind of thing that our parents or our grandparents or earlier generations had to endure? This kind of crazy, pointless war of conquest. Haven't we become more civilized than that? And the answer is always yes and no. We reach a point where we see that there's an alternative. 
And we see that over and over again, individually and collectively, we black backslide into the very things we thought we've gotten over. You know, and there's no question that that happens to us in our personal lives and our practice, just as it happens in the larger field of, of history. We think we've learned better. We think we've gotten over that. We think we're never going to make that mistake again. And yet we do, over and over again. And we have to live a life in which we make mistakes and repair them. Make mistakes and repair them. This is life in the briar patch amid the entangling vines. And as much as we like to occasionally catch a glimpse of the serenity and peace and purity of the pure Dharma body or whatever we call it. Our real home is back here on earth. And maybe like someday, like Br'er Rabbit, we'll really feel free and at home in the briar patch. <laughs> 